0: If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of October 16, 2022. The podcast that mistook its wife for a hat. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's de-intensify the news of the bogus. So here's something we all knew anyway, but now it's official. The FBI undercounts the number of times an armed citizen stops a crime. By a lot. A report from the Crime Prevention Research Center shows what it refers to as massive errors in the FBI's data regarding active shooting incidents, which the FBI defines as those where an individual actively kills or attempts to kill people in a populated public area. It doesn't include those related to other criminal activity, such as robberies and fights over drug turf. The FBI says that 4.4% of active shootings between 2014 and 2021 were stopped by armed citizens. Data from the CPRC showed 34.4%, almost eight times as many. The FBI data comes from 252 active shooter incidents, with 11 stopped by armed citizens. The CPRC looked at 360 incidents in the same time period, and found 124 stopped by armed citizens. And those are just the ones they can count. The report said, quote, There is no reason to think that the news media covers all the cases where civilians stopped attacks. And the farther back in time we go, the more cases we are likely to miss. Gary Mauser, professor emeritus at Simon Fraser University in Canada, said, "...whether deliberately through bias or just incompetence, the FBI database of active shooters cannot be trusted." According to the report, there are two main reasons for the undercount. One is misclassification, such as when an armed citizen stops a shooting but the shooter is arrested by police. The other is simply leaving out the armed citizen, either failing to mention them entirely or miscategorizing armed civilians as security members. And then there are the ones that it just misses entirely. The FBI data also fails to mention cases that would have gone on to become mass shootings that were thwarted by armed citizens. Quote, Between 2014 and 2021, citizens stopped 104 out of 204 potential or actual mass shootings where we could identify the guns were allowed in the area. So 51% of attacks were stopped by people legally carrying concealed handguns. Again, the most recent data is most accurate, and for 2021, 58% of the cases were stopped in areas where people were clearly allowed to carry. Even worse, when the CPRC reached out to the FBI showing the discrepancies, they refused to correct the errors, even after several such communications over a period of five years. Even when the FBI admitted they had missed cases, they never made the corrections. And this is just about active shooter incidents. It doesn't include robberies, domestic violence, carjacking, home invasions, and other violent crimes gun owners defend themselves and others from every single day. And what they weren't able to find is the fear-mongering from the gun control bars about how the armed citizen will injure all sorts of innocent bystanders in the process. They found none of that, and they only found one case where the cops shot the hero, because usually they didn't show up until it was long over. Even when these are reported in local news, it's generally when the person fired the gun or injured or killed the assailant. What doesn't get reported at all are all the times that brandishing a gun scares away the attacker, or, even harder to count, all the times the would-be attacker didn't even TRY because he knew there might be armed citizens present. Just as a reminder, multiple independent analyses of various surveys and data collection attempts from the National Research Council to the CDC, anywhere from half a million to three million times a year, an armed citizen thwarts a crime. That's at least one crime every minute. When the FBI is involved in so much corruption over the years as we've covered over the tenure of this podcast, and when it fails in even their basic law enforcement function of collecting reliable data about criminal activity, one can be forgiven for wondering why it should even exist in the first place. If you're looking for a way to support this channel without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. And on something else that's largely unreported about firearms, CNN is finally getting clued into what gun owners have known all along. Women and minorities carry guns too. In their article, Liberal, Female, and Minority, America's New Gun Owners Aren't Who You'd Think, they express surprise at something a lot of us have noticed, like firearms dealer and instructor Brandy Joseph said, quote, There is a huge uptick in female owners. Women are getting trained. Women are carrying. Liberal and conservative. The report focuses on several African-American women who came for their first training session, led by Laranya Day, who said, quote, Our society and climate is changing. It's just better to be prepared for your own safety and protection. That's how we feel. It can be intimidating to newcomers, and they're no exception. Like Jamie Beverly, who said, Seeing all the guns on the table, I was like, uh. When the reporter asked if she'd ever want to carry, she replied, I don't think so. And that continued after the training began, when they felt the raw power and heard the sound of the gunfire through their ear protection. Chrissia Regalado said, quote, Just the sounds, the vibrations of each impact, made me very jittery and shaky, and I had to excuse myself out of the range. I don't know, it just triggered something inside of me, and it made me scared. You know what? That's actually kind of good. Guns are powerful and potentially dangerous, which is why there's such a huge culture of safety among gun owners. But when safety rules are learned and followed, guns can be the safest item you own. You lose the fear over guns, but you don't lose the respect you have for them and what they're capable of doing. Regalado's wife, Jessica Mendez, voiced what many others have in recent years in the growing need for personal protection. Quote, I'm a Mexican woman in a same-sex relationship. I need to feel safe. I need to feel protected. And right now... The laws and the things that are going on don't make me feel safe and don't make me feel protected. All that's really happening is the illusion falling apart. They were never protected by their government, as we've covered numerous times. Police have no duty to protect anyone. Their instructor, Tom Nguyen, spoke of training mostly liberal clients from all backgrounds, genders, and orientations. Quote, I never intended to become an instructor. But the need from the community was there. And there's also folks from my own liberal community who see me as, oh, you like guns, so you must be a gun nut. But that's not really it at all. The more I educate those who are formerly anti-gun, the more they actually realize that there's more nuance to it. They were surprised at the open reception they received. Mendez said, quote, It's mostly all men. Mostly all white men. Older men like 70s, 80s. Seeing people looking at us, and kind of just staring, it always makes us more uncomfortable. Because we're like, oh my god, are they going to come and tell us, like, get out of here, you don't belong here? But instead, quote, they're like, hey, you're doing well, but can I show you something that might help you more? See, CNN? That's what actual tolerance looks like. Yes, they were welcoming, encouraging, and helpful. But as surprising as it is to them, it's no surprise to anyone in gun culture. In fact, one gun rights group, the Pink Pistols, focuses on LGBTQ gun owners. But they're not getting that kind of understanding from their own friends and relations. Charlene Ward said, quote, Do you have some friends who would be totally turned off by this? Absolutely. That's their choice. I'm exercising my choice. And Mendez said of her friends, quote, They're not really open to understanding. I definitely am more closeted being a gun owner for fear of retaliation. She added she's a lot more comfortable talking about her same-sex relationship with her friends than her being a gun owner. Of course, because the same-sex relationship is something they can virtue signal about. Sadly, Mendez said, But at the end of the day, I have to choose. Am I going to choose guns, or am I going to choose my relationship? And I will always choose my relationship. But it's just like a shame that we can't come together and feel safe. That is a shame. It's a crying shame. But maybe if this trend continues, it won't be that way for long. In 2021, 90% of retailers reported a surge in gun sales to African Americans, and 80% reported an increase in sales to Hispanic and Asian Americans. According to data from Harvard... More than half of new gun owners are likely to be women. Jonathan Solomon's Redstone Firearms is described by CNN as one of the country's few black-owned gun shops. But of course, they're not quite as rare as CNN points out. Just take a look around the country, especially in predominantly black areas in states with permissive gun laws. Of his clientele, Solomon said, quote, It's not just one demographic. It's not just one ethnic group. There's not just one level of income. It's a wide variety of folks who come in here now. Unfortunately, since California isn't that permissive, he instructs his clients to keep up with rapidly changing laws and regulations. Quote, It's a consistent education when it comes to gun laws, especially in California. And it's inexcusable that it should be happening with a fundamental human right. One so important, it's guaranteed by the Constitution. As Nguyen cogently put it, quote, It's really convenient to think that if we just ban an object, if we just ban guns, then all of our problems will be solved. All of society's problems will be solved. But that's not true. I want to destigmatize lawful and responsible gun ownership. After completing the class, Ward said, quote, I just feel liberated. I feel like, let's move on to the next step. License to carry. Get the concealed weapon. If you've ever wondered why the news media is so desperate to paint gun owners and gun rights advocates as racist white supremacists, this is it. This is the reason right here. There are a lot more liberal, minority, LGBTQ, and trans gun owners than people think. But as we've just seen, it's because they're forced to stay in the closet by the intolerant left. As Ward said, quote, Most people have in mind the cookie-cutter firearm owner, right wing. But then, there's the other side that is quiet. They own guns. They're buying them. They're stockpiling ammo. It's just not on their Facebook pages, and it's not their profile pictures. But the mere fact that CNN, of all places, is covering this story may be a good sign. Maybe there'll be increased awareness among intolerant progressives, as more and more of them are awakened to the reality of it. In the meantime, gun owners will accept them all for who they are. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? So now, the result of the Alex Jones travesty of a trial resulted in the absolutely ridiculous result many of us predicted. Even those of us who can't stand Alex Jones, and believe he said some horrible things that he deserves to pay for, but still like the principles of justice, didn't like the show trial that turned into an absolute circus with the clown of a judge in the center ring. And now, The Guardian has an article showing how this sort of thing can only be stopped by government regulation of the Internet. Just in case you're wondering what it's about, this is what it's always been about. Simon Jenkins wrote in the op-ed, quote, Jones, like QAnon, Donald Trump, and others, can navigate fake news sites and social media to reach millions. For years, the latter refused to admit responsibility for their content. Facebook asserting that it was a platform, not a publisher. Oh yes, it's the typical rhetoric of the free speech-hating anti-section 230 crowd. Here's another box you can tick off, quote, No one seriously believes free speech is an absolute right. The British government is making desperate attempts to define such concepts as causing offense and legal but harmful, more ruthless efforts at control are emerging from authoritarian regimes in Russia, China, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. The EU, too, is pondering regulation. But this realm of government is patently in its infancy. As I've pointed out before, just because some exceptions exist, like slander, libel, or the threat of imminent lawless action, doesn't mean that your exception is justified. The exceptions are compatible with free speech. You have the freedom to speak, but you can also be held accountable for the harm your speech does. But look at what he's actually advocating. Censorship of speech that some people find offensive, or even the authoritarian censorship regimes around the world, he claims is, in its infancy, meaning he wants it to be a lot bigger. He quotes Marxist Jamie Susskind, who's constantly been against things like open speech, strong encryption, and the gig economy, saying, quote, Forms of speech that were mildly problematic in the past now have the potential to be mortally dangerous. The last paragraph of the Guardian column tells you everything you need to know. Quote, Suskind and others regard it as indefensible that the digital industry should regulate itself. There is a clear tension between the logic of capitalist innovation and the public good. To Suskind, that tension can be resolved only by government. But if freedom is to be protected and treasured, this means the U.S. and Europe acting in concert. Regulation must burrow down into the global media platforms to bring out the best and curtail the worst. People like Jones cannot be left to return to his ranch, and so mayhem unchecked. Yep, global regulations to stop capitalist innovation in the name of the so-called public good— Another rallying cry of the tyrant. It's funny, though, the things he doesn't bother to mention that's actual misinformation, like the steel dossier, the Hunter Biden laptop being a Russian hoax, the Russians supposedly hacking our power grid, the misinformation about Jan Six like the death of Brian Sicknick, all the misinformation about Kyle Rittenhouse, and so on. Because he actually doesn't care about misinformation, as long as it's misinformation that helps his team. And he wants to get rid of free speech so he can shut up anyone who can point it out. That's why they had to try Alex Jones this way. If they'd had an actual trial for libel, there's no question Jones would have lost. And if they'd followed actual jurisprudence, not to mention basic decorum, in the damages trial, there's no question the jury would have made Jones pay. Why would you cheat when you didn't have to in order to win the trial? because it's about something other than winning the trial. It's about how you want to inhibit people's rights. And every single time, they pick an odious person to do it with and make it about him, such that people are loath to want to defend him. And they use that as a launching off point to go against the rest of us. Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? And now it's time to spike the punch of this week's Biggest bogan emitter. Joe Biden surprised a lot of people with his announcement that he was going to pardon every non-violent marijuana offender. It's something that should have happened long ago, along with ending the entire war on drugs, but still, this would be an excellent first step. But just like everything else, you've got to read the fine print. First of all, it only applies to federal and D.C. convictions, since the President doesn't have the power to pardon state convictions. It will pardon people previously convicted of marijuana possession under federal and Washington, D.C. laws, and that's good news for thousands of people with this on their records. And it'll be good news every time they fill out a job application. It'll also restore, in many cases, the right to vote, to hold office, and to sit on a jury. But then there's all the things it doesn't do. First of all, it doesn't actually expunge the record, which Biden actually promised to do on his 2020 campaign website. So it may not affect, for example, whether you pass a background check to get a firearm. It also won't free a SINGLE PERSON from federal prison. They were careful to write the pardon order so that it doesn't actually cover anyone sitting in prison today because they're not there solely on minor possession charges. For example, if you have more than a certain amount, they'll charge you with Intent to Sell, or Conspiracy, or Trafficking, or any of the other bogus charges prosecutors love tacking on to get a big conviction and sentence. That includes being convicted of a violent crime when there was no actual violence or even the threat of it. If you're caught possessing marijuana AND a firearm, even if you never even drew the gun, you're charged with aggravated drug possession, and this pardon doesn't apply. And by the way, as numerous studies have confirmed, blacks are far more likely to be stopped by police detained pre-trial, and overcharged with more serious crimes than white people, so they're much less likely to be covered by this pardon. Joe Biden's record of supporting racist laws still stands. And also, it doesn't apply to illegal immigrants. Since 2003, more than 45,000 people were deported on nothing more than simple marijuana possession. It also doesn't cover members of the military, and it doesn't stop people from continuing to be arrested for simple possession, or to change the ridiculous placement of marijuana on Schedule 1, or even the ridiculous existence of Schedule 1 to begin with. All it really does is shift federal policy to be more in line with most states. It's playing catch-up, not moving us forward. Given all of that, and especially the timing of it, it really smacks of being nothing more than an October grab for votes for Democrats. So all of that makes Joe Biden this week's Biggest Ogun emitter. Go to Firmoo, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot, dot TV anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmoo dot dot TV. And now let's semi-deify this week's Idiot, idiot and just when you thought copyrights couldn't get any more ridiculous, along comes France, whose Parliament wants to charge people a fee for using works in the public domain. Seventy-five assemblymen stuck on a rider to a finance bill, saying, according to the DeepL translator, quote, A tax is established on the profits directed from the commercial and profit-making use of a work that is no longer protected by the exploitation right recognized to the author or his successors in the intellectual property code. Its rate is fixed at 1%. So basically, if you use something public domain in a creation that you profit from, you'd have to pay the government of France 1% of the profits. To put it another way, France is claiming ownership over all public domain works and subjecting them to a 1% license fee. The whole justification of giving a monopoly to the creator of a work for a limited time is that, after that limited time, it enters the public domain and can be used by anyone for any purpose whatsoever, including for-profit works. France wants to turn that idea completely on its head and basically have all rights be turned over to the government. And who wants to bet these won't be the only ones to try it? In fact, as we've seen in the past, whenever a European country tries something horrible like this, it's just a matter of time before the EU passes it to cover all of Europe and then insists that the rest of the world kowtow to it. They justify it by saying, the purpose of this amendment is to increase the aid to artistic creation by setting up a levy on the lucrative commercial use of works that belong to the public domain. But how do you increase the aid to artistic creation by taxing it? And what would count? If you write a novel that's completely original, except one character somewhere quotes Shakespeare, what would the tax be? And how is this going to affect things like libraries and used bookstores? The only thing this will accomplish is to make it more difficult for individual and independent artists to compete with the big content cartels. Which is probably the whole idea. So all of that makes France this week's... Idiot Idiot Extraordinaire! Well, that wraps up this... He steals from the rich, but he hasn't got around to giving it to the poor yet, edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Thomas Sowell. The key feature of communist propaganda has been the depiction of people who are more productive as mere exploiters of others. The Bogocity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogocity.